Weddings ish, 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 weddings Ron Ben Israel, the king of cakes, and I couldn't be more excited. So let's get started. Wedding planning can be super overwhelming. I hear it all the time from so many of my couples that I work with and couples that I speak with. What are the do's and don'ts of wedding planning? So I shared my do's and don'ts tips with Brooklyn Magazine. You can actually find all of these tips in this winter edition of their magazine uh, and or online on the website jovemeyerevents.com slash podcast. I posted uh, the do's and don'ts from the magazine there, as well as some really great images from uh, Ron Ben Israel on my interview with him. So let's dive right in. Do's and don'ts everyone should know about wedding planning. Let's start with the do's. So do's, do figure out your guest count, the high, the low, So that way, everything else stems from there. The size of the venue, um, the type, the style of meal you're going to have. Knowing your guest count will influence everything. So do figure out your guest count before you begin. Do start a Pinterest board. I love Pinterest. I think it's super helpful, super great. It also helps couples find out what they love and what they don't love. And my suggestion is go pin crazy at first. So pin everything that you think is beautiful, then let it rest a little bit, and then come back and edit and delete and refine so that you have something a little bit more cohesive. Do hire a wedding planner. All right, I'm a little biased here because that's the job that I do. But I will say this, planners come in every shape and form and size, and they offer packages similarly. So not everyone needs a full service planner. Um, Some people just need a partial planner. And if you don't want either of those and you're really hands-on and you're going to make it all happen yourself, then at least get a day of coordinator. A day of coordinator is someone who's sort of like the project manager for your wedding day, so you're not working on your wedding day. So that's right. It's a do to hire a wedding planner in some capacity so you can enjoy your wedding with your friends and your family. Do share the good news, but make sure you share it with family first, best friends second, and then social media last. So, um... Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, all those places are great places to share your excitement, but make sure you do that after you've shared it with those that you love the most, personally, whether it's a text or a phone call. Nobody wants to find out their best friend is engaged from social media. They want that personal moment, that personal touch. So I know it's hard because it's just one click away, but do the right thing and share with those that matter most, first in person or over the phone, and then go crazy on social media and get all those likes and feel all that love. Um, The next do is do know your resources. Before you begin planning, have a clear budget. That helps manage expectations, keeps things on track, and will also help your planner present you with the right options. Um, Knowing your budget is huge, and that can be flexible, knowing that we have a little bit of a range or knowing we can't spend a penny over this amount. And if you're honest about that from the beginning with your planner and or your vendors, if you're going it alone, then absolutely it'll make your process so much easier. So know the resources 
and be firm on where you stand with them. There's no reason why you should be upset or angry if someone's coming in more expensive than what you'd budgeted. Uh, Just keep looking until you find someone at the right range or find more resources if you may have created a budget that was a bit under um, what things actually cost. Do make it personal. Create a wedding that's a reflection of your relationship, not just something you think others will love. This is about you as a couple, not your parents. I cannot emphasize this enough. The wedding should feel like you. It should feel like you're welcoming your friends and family into your home, into your relationship, into your life. And your guests should walk in and be like, oh my gosh, this is totally them. Of course they would do this. And I know sometimes it's hard if the parents are hosting. Their influence is strong. But if you just have an honest conversation, um, it can all work out. Yeah, you want to make it personal. Make it about the two of you. Also, do work together. Each person should make a list of what's most important to them and divide up the responsibilities. Couples, this is huge. Wedding planning, some people say, is super stressful, but I don't think it has to be. If you have champagne at every meeting and you know, you're planning such a happy party, it should be a fun process, especially when you work together as a couple. So make a list of priorities. What matters to you? What matters to them? And who's going to do what? And if it becomes overwhelming, again, hire a planner that you can work with to take some of that tension away. Do be organized. Um, There's nothing worse than a couple that's all over the place and they don't know what they're doing or how they're doing it and they're spreading their energies everywhere. But if you're organized, start a spreadsheet. Google Docs is great. I do all of my business through Google Docs because you can share it with friends and family Um, It's digital, so you can access it online, offline, at any time, and you can edit it uh, whenever you want. So it's a working, living, breathing document um, that can be shared. Do include your family and friends. Find roles and responsibilities for those you love to be involved. Nothing over the top. Simple tasks are great. Your wedding party, your family, your friends, they're that. They're family and they're friends. They're not professional wedding vendors. They don't work in the industry. So don't give them these huge tasks that you could hire someone to do. For instance, don't expect your wedding party to cook your rehearsal dinner. Or don't expect your wedding party to be your personal assistant on the day of your wedding. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that your family and friends can do, but just give them a job that's within reason that helps them feel included, but does not leave them feeling overwhelmed. You don't want any tension with your guests, with your family, or with your friends leading up to the wedding or on the wedding day. Also, do enjoy the process. Make sure you have bubbly or wine or chocolate at all your planning meetings. Talk out your options and don't let stress get the best of you. For some reason, people say like, Death, planning a wedding, and buying a house are the three most stressful events in a human's human's life. Um, I'm so saddened by that because I feel like planning a wedding should be nothing but fun and excitement. Sure, there'll be a little stress here and there because you may disagree with your fiance or with your family, or you may not be able to communicate exactly what you're feeling or what you want. But take a deep breath, drink some champagne, eat some chocolate, and just enjoy it. Put a smile on your face. I mean, if couples are spending 60, 70, 80, $100,000, they should be having so much fun doing it. It should not be a stressful process. Um, do work with the right vendors. This is a crucial one. 
Make sure your vendors match your style, personality, and book them for who they are and what they do. You should love the work your vendor creates. There's nothing worse than trying to work with a vendor and trying to mold them to do something that isn't really authentic to who they are. If you hire the right people, everything will be wonderful because it'll just be easy. You hire them because you love their energy, you love their their vibe, you love their style, you love what they do, and if you let them do it and support them along the way, the product will always be incredible, as opposed to trying to hire someone who it's not within their skill set or their style and trying to mold them into something they don't normally do. That outcome rarely ends well. So work with the right vendors. Also do send thank you cards. Wedding vendors work with you in such a personal way for such a special moment for such a long time. So make sure you send a thank you card, a handwritten note to your vendors, your friends, and your family who attended. It's a small thing that can go a long way. All right, let's move on to the don'ts. The don'ts of wedding planning, my favorite. This is what you do not do, should not do. Please avoid doing. Don't be a groom or bridezilla. You hear me? Not allowed. No groomzillas, no bridezillas allowed. The friendlier you are to your vendors, the more they'll do for you. The crazier you are, the less they'll be inclined to go above and beyond for you. I know it seems obvious, but you'd be surprised how quickly people forget this. If you're nice and you're kind and you're loving, that's what you're going to get back from your vendors. It's totally like childhood lessons come back in wedding planning, right? If you're good to others, they're good to you. So just remember, don't be a groomzilla or a bridezilla. I know like movies or TV shows sort of highlight this or they sort of society expects someone to become a groom or bridezilla and it's sort of like people understand, oh, they're going through a lot. This is really stressful. But I'll be honest, nobody understands. Nobody supports you. There's no reason anyone should become a zilla over their wedding. It's absolutely not cute and nobody wants to work with you. I'm just going to say it. Everyone will run for the hills or reconsider their relationship. Do not have a cash bar. If your budget is tight, then stick to beer and wine only. A cash bar is not cute. I repeat, no cash bar. If you're going to invite people to your wedding and they're going to fly in from all over the country or world and buy you an expensive gift, they can't show up to a cash bar. It's just inappropriate. Unless you're super religious and you're having a dry wedding, Also, I don't support that, but you do you, but a cash bar is not cute. Shift the budget around and maybe just do beer and wine. Offer something for your guests. Don't be unrealistic. Know what you can afford and stick to that. I say this all the time. I want a Porsche, right? But I drive a Honda. And I I say that because what I can afford is a Honda. And a Honda's good. It's great. It's going to last me for years. It's going to run forever. Um, it's a great brand name. It's recognizable. It does the job. But of course, I'd like a Porsche, but I can afford a Honda. So that's what I'm going to buy. And that's what I'm going to drive every day. So similar with your wedding budget, don't be unrealistic. If your budget is a Honda, don't go after Porsche luxury vendors. Sort of play within your ballgame. Play within the world that you have the resources to be in because you'll feel happier there and you won't feel disappointed. 
If you're always trying for something that doesn't fit naturally, that's when it gets stressful. That's when bridezillas and groomzillas um, are born. So know what you can afford and stick to that. Uh, do not haggle. Oh my gosh. Many wedding vendors own and run their own small businesses and often pricing is based on experience and product. So respect that. Respect the number they're giving you. The more you haggle, the less attractive it is to the vendor and the less likely they're going to want to work with you. I know that everyone's on a tight budget and I also know more than anyone that everybody loves a deal. I love a deal. We're Americans. We love coupons. We love getting a sale. We love when we have a discount. Absolutely undeniable that, that deals are amazing and we all feel like, yeah, I got a good deal on that. But when it comes to wedding vendors, especially small um, business-run, owner-operated companies, they factor in so many things that you may be unaware of. I mean, here in New York City alone, to run your own small business, you pay federal, state, city, self-employment, and transportation taxes. That's five taxes for being a small business. On top of that, there's advertising, there's supplies, there's staffing costs. There's so many things that go into that number that you get from a vendor. So if you love the work they do, hire them. If they're outside of your budget, either see if you can get additional resources or just keep looking. Ask them if they know someone who works similarly to them, but in a lower budget. There's nothing wrong with being honest about what you have, but I just find it so painful when everybody wants to haggle. Again, when people want this Porsche, but their budget is for a Honda. Um, vendors price themselves based on their skill set, their talent, their passion, and the time they've been in this industry. You're hiring an expert. When you go to the grocery store, you don't haggle for prices of things you see on the shelf. You're not like, I love this milk. This like, you know, hand-squeezed milk from upstate New York that's, you know, delicious and local and handmade. Um, so I love it so much, but I want to pay the same price for that as this like cheap milk from another country. It just doesn't work that way. Anyways, clearly I'm on a, a bend about this, but do not haggle. And if you're going to sort of ask for anything, my suggestion is always this. You never ask someone, great, I love what you do, and now do it for cheaper, please. But I'll always ask maybe you can find a way to increase the services as opposed to reducing the cost. So maybe a photographer would throw in a free engagement shoot or maybe an extra 15 minutes of shooting. Um, but they're not going to give you everything you want at half the cost, at a third of the cost. So be realistic. Don't expect a Porsche if you can only afford a Honda. I know you've heard me say this before, but know your budget and spend the money on what's most important to you. And remember, there's nothing wrong with a Honda. I drive a Honda. I love my Honda. It's as much about the destination as it is the ride. So enjoy the process and sort of play within your field. Play within your range. Know what your resources are and spend them on what matters most to you. Don't blow all your budget on your venue. This is a common problem I see all the time. Couples will come to me with a budget and they've already booked a venue, and the venue is a huge cost. And then the resources they have left are not enough to do everything else they want for the wedding. 
And I get it. You walk into a beautiful venue, you fall in love, you envision yourself being married there, your friends and family dancing there, you get all the tingly feelings, it speaks to you. And then the venue's 10, 15, $20,000. And if your entire budget's 50,000, it's not the right venue for you. You have to come back to the drawing board, know all the things you want, make a list of them, research the local costs, budget out the items and stay within your range. So many times this happens. Couples call with a, you know, a lower budget and they book a venue and the venue cost is 50% of their total budget. It's just not going to happen. And I say the same thing every time. You can have this beautiful venue, you can have me and Domino's. And that's about it because otherwise you've got no money left. You've spent it all on the venue. Don't go DIY crazy. DIY means do it yourself, not your planner, not your mother, not your friends, but you, yourself. While DIY is a nice way to personalize the wedding, don't forget that means you create it, transport it, pack it up, and take it home. DIY may be cute, but it's a lot of work. And in the wedding speak, DIY equals D-I-J, do it Jove, or do it planner, or do it someone else. It takes so much work to do a DIY project, especially if you're not crafty or you're not artsy and you don't already have all the supplies. You have to come up with the idea, source all the supplies, buy them, get them, transport them, unpack them, prepare them, repack them, bring them to the venue, unpack them, place them, style them, clean them, end of the night, repack them up, and then transport them home. And then what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with 300 hand-dipped glass vessels that you made? I don't know. It's not for everyone. It's a big don't for me for DIY crazy. A little DIY here and there I think is great. DIY the guest book, or maybe the escort cards, or maybe photo booth props, but don't DIY your whole wedding because it's so much work. Don't forget to eat. It'll be a very long day, so make sure you have the energy to get through it. Eat a big meal before you go into hair and makeup and before you get on your wedding outfit, and carry a personal snack bag for midday photos. This will also help you get in into the right zone so you have the right energy. Nobody likes a hangry bride or a hangry groom or hangry couples because all of a sudden you're snapping and you're snarky and you're upset and it's nobody's fault but your own because your blood sugar is low because you haven't eaten. So a big healthy meal before you put on the outfit, a snack when you're photographing, have lunch delivered to you, and then obviously eat your wedding meal. The catering bill is the most expensive part of the wedding. You tasted that food, you loved that food, you hired that caterer, that chef, that restaurant for a reason, eat it. And when friends and family try to come over and talk to you and you're eating, just say, we'll be out in a few minutes, we're gonna enjoy our meal just like you did. In fact, when I'm working, I sort of play security guard during the dinner portion and I don't let cut the guests come see my couple because they need to eat something. Also, it's just practical. People drink like crazy at weddings, and if you don't have a base to absorb all of that alcohol, silly things happen. (laughs) I mean, I've seen it all, from face plants to vomiting to really not cute situations. So eating is key. All right, next, 
Don't plan a Pinterest wedding. Use Pinterest for inspiration and to keep your own ideas in one place, but trust your vendors to create something unique and beautiful just for you. Nobody wants to be a copycat. Nobody in the creative field wants to copy other people. There's no joy there, there's no fulfillment there, and there's no integrity there. So if you bring a picture to a florist and say, make me this exactly, it's just not cute. What I would say is that picture, let's talk about it. What in this photo inspires you? Do you like the color? Do you like the shape? Do you like the floral selection? Do you like the vessel? Do you like the way that it's overgrown or the way that it's tight or the way that it's tall or the way that it's wide or the way that it's low? So figure out exactly what it is in these photos from Pinterest that inspire you and use that information to create something new and custom and beautiful that will then inspire someone else on Pinterest. But don't plan a Pinterest wedding. Just promise me you won't do it. Also, don't let your parents take control. Many couples get financial help from their families, and while it's important to make them feel happy in return, you have to remember it's not their wedding. They had their wedding. They had their big day. It's your wedding. So find out what's most important to them and make it happen. Make their wants your wants, but without losing yourself. And just reassure them along the way that it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be stunning. Their friends are going to have a great time. The food will be delicious. The alcohol will taste amazing. The band will be perfect. But don't let your parents take control. It's not their wedding. It's not their big day. Put your foot down with a smile and assure them that everything will be okay. And include them where it makes sense. If there's something you just really don't care about, but you know mom or dad, it's super important to them, then let them take the lead. Let them feel included. Let them be involved in an area that matters to them, especially if you really aren't particular about that area. Don't go overboard with your hair and makeup. You want to look like yourself on your wedding day. Keep it simple, natural, beautiful you. You want your friends and family to recognize you. You don't want to look like a drag queen. You don't want to look like an overdone Barbie or you know a princess from the South. right? You want to look like yourself, the best version of yourself. So natural, light, and beautiful. Unless you're that girl that wears tons of makeup all the time and you love color and you love contour and you love working with all of that, then that's exactly what you should do. You should be true to you and look like your best self on your wedding day, not someone else and not like a drag queen. Unless you wanna look like a drag queen, then you should look like a drag queen. But most couples don't wanna look like drag queens. So anyways, I digress. I love drag queens. I'm digressing. Don't feel trapped in tradition. It's 2016. Weddings are changing quickly and should feel true to you, your couple, your love, your relationship, your story. Don't feel stuck with tradition. You have no rules at a modern wedding. If you feed people and drink people, they'll do whatever you want in any way you want them to do it. So don't feel like you have to do what your parents did or you have to do what some old book on wedding etiquette says you have to do. This is your day, you and the love of your life. Make it about you. Make it fun. Make it personal. Feed people, drink people, good music, 
and everyone will have a great time. Do what's important to you, but also keep in mind everyone else. You are inviting all of these these people, your friends and family, to your wedding. So of course you have to keep them in mind. You want them to be happy. You want them to have a good time. But you also want it to be authentic. You want it to be true to who you are. So make sure that you do that. And you know, your gut will tell you. You know, do you have a church ceremony or a ceremony out in nature? Well, are you religious? When's the last time you actually went to church? Do you believe in anything? Are you a nature girl or a boy? Do you like being in the great outdoors or do you not? Then maybe you have an indoor ceremony. Really think about it. Talk about it. Have these conversations with your significant other, your friends and your family, and don't feel trapped with tradition. Create new traditions, especially gay couples. I love working with gay couples. Being gay myself, I never grew up assuming I would get married to a man. It wasn't legal. Nobody did it. It wasn't something I had to look forward to. There weren't examples of it. Now that gay marriage is legal across the country, we are creating our own new traditions. We're starting from scratch, and it's so exciting. So there's no need for anyone, gay or straight, to conform to traditions of the past, but let's celebrate our individuality and who we are and create new traditions for the future. Well, that's the do's and don'ts of wedding planning. I know that I went through them rather quickly, but you can find them all on the website, jovemeyerevents.com slash podcast. Or you can just go out and buy a copy of the Brooklyn Magazine and you can see it there where all of these are in print for you. Weddings-ish! So let's chat about our reality TV wrap-up. We just had this week, after Valentine's Day, the episode of The Bachelor where he brings it down to the final four women. I mean, here we are, the final four for hometowns with Amanda, Kayla... Joelle or Jojo and Lauren B. So four girls. And how awkward was that episode? I mean, really a date at McDonald's? I just couldn't even get it. I mean, I get it. McDonald's paid ABC a shit ton of money. And because of that, they were there having a hometown date in the drive-thru pitching their all-day breakfast. I mean, who gets an Egg McMuffin for dinner? Also, who eats at McDonald's in 2016? when the sun is out. I mean, it may be like super late at night, you have a craving for french fries or some nuggies, but not like normal mealtime. Anyways, moving right along, who do you love? Who's going to be the winner? There's a little bit of foreshadowing for the next episode that Jojo's family is not into Ben. Not at all. And we've seen how this has gone down in the history of The Bachelor or Bachelorette. When family drama arises, the relationship generally ends. And it's sort of interesting how they're casting the frontrunner, the initial frontrunner, Kayla, as insecure and unsure. Um, And then Amanda has the kids. And so is Ben ready to be a father? Is he ready to be an instant father to children that are not his own right out of the gate? And then there's Lauren. She sort of has given everyone a weird run for their money, and people say she's a different person when she's around Ben. I don't know. I have a good feeling about her. And I always find that in The Bachelor world, the way they edit it is sort of they want to keep us surprised. So it's never the obvious choice, the winner. It's always the person that you sort of 
least expected, but maybe kind of expected. They build an arc for them. There's moments of doubt. And then there's that hero moment when they say yes and they get married. But word on the street is, is that Ben actually has a really hard time between the final two women. And that this is going to be the most dramatic season ever of The Bachelor. So we can't wait for Hometowns next week. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Would you take a date to McDonald's? And also, would you bring a girl home or a guy to meet your family knowing that you were going to dump her right after? I don't know. I feel like the whole twin sister thing was so hoaxy just to have twins on the show because it's never been done before. But then to get her all the way there, meet your parents. You met her parents back in her hometown. And then to be like, yeah, sorry about it. It's not going to work out. I think you're like a little bit young for me. So going to move on. Weddings-ish. I am super excited to be sitting here across from the handsome, talented, charming king of cakes, Ron Ben Israel. How are you? I'm excellent. And you know, Joe, flattery will get you lots of cake. Oh, really? So well, good. Set for life. <laughs> set for life. I had you at handsome. Will you write this down for me and sign a contract? Absolutely. I mean, and your cakes truly are a work of art. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, and too. everything is edible on a Ron Ben Israel cake. That's the truth. Top to bottom. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> um, but I appreciate the versatility. The declaration of everything is edible is factual. Okay. But it's just like when you go to a restaurant and you're told that the dish is all edible. You don't really count the china plate that you're well, making. sure. No, sure. but we have to be, you know, very clear. particular <laughs> here. Inside the cake, in areas that one does not see, there are... Um, because it's very important to talk about what's inside the cake. Not just the flavor, but what makes a wedding cake. Mm -hmm. And a big part of the craftsmanship is architecture. You have plates that support each other. There are dowels that extend the height of the cake, just like columns in a building. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of conditions that make a stable cake. Yeah. So uh, it's all edible, but please don't eat the plates. Yeah. You've shipped cakes all over. I mean, I think uh, you told me a story. As in we fly the you cakes. fly the cakes. We, we deliver the cakes. Yeah. Often they're hand delivered. You know, we had a bee cake that went to South Beach uh -huh. two months ago. So On a private plane? This one, they suggested the private plane, wow. but they suggested sending the private plane, uh -huh. which would have been fun to fly. Of course. But we actually delivered it in a refrigerated truck. Okay. And the reason is the planes are fine, but many times they, they're too narrow. Oh, interesting. And the cake was too wide to fit in between the seats. Your cake was too big for a private plane. Well, my cake was just the right size. Oh, got it. The small. plane was too small. So that's fascinating. I mean, a cake has flown private and I have not. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little I bit jealous of your cakes. Helicopters are the best. Okay, because they're wide. Yes, and they just go down mm -hmm. on the tarmac, not far from us, yep. on the east side. And then it takes eight minutes to get to Long Island. Sure. Or, uh, 20 minutes to the Hamptons. And the great thing with the helicopters, they go straight up. So I don't have to worry about the kick shift. Side to side. Yes. Wow. So it's all these things that you've had to think about over the years that make you an expert. Well, I mean... You know, we like to say whatever the client wants, but... And then you have to <laughs> specify. Sure. 
So let's talk about freezing the top tier of the wedding cake. Mm-hmm. Many couples, it's a tradition they hold on to. They want that top tier in the freezer so one year later they can relive you know, one of the happiest memories of their life. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know, what are the rules about that? Is it actually going to taste good? How long does it have to sit out? Can I microwave it? Like, what do I do so cake tastes exactly or as closely similar as it did on my wedding day, hypothetically, if I were married, the couple's wedding day, um, to one year later when they take it out of their freezer. So our couples get a whole lecture from me, and <laughs> they follow the orders, and then they get results that we get little thank you notes a year later saying our wedding cake tasted as good as the wedding night, and it's been our first anniversary. Mm. So, But you have to follow the rules. Okay. First of all, when the cake gets home in our box, just leave it in the refrigerator overnight, because who can handle that, right? Yeah. Just rip your clothes off and probably collapse to bed. <laughs> or have a or other things, or yeah. Other things. So the cake is safe in the refrigerator. And then once it, the buttercream hardened, mm-hmm. then wrap the cake in many layers of plastic wrap, making sure that no air, there's no air trapped, because the air would lead to freezer burn. Okay. And once the cake is totally sealed, it can be frozen safely for one year, as long as the measurements are no more than eight inches. Okay. Because you want to freeze it solid quickly. Eight inches is like reasonable size. Oh, it's very large, yeah. actually. Uh, it will fit the 20 people. Perfect. Uh, most of our cake tops are five to six, sometimes seven inches, depending okay. on the overall size. But you really want to freeze it solid uh, and also defrost it gradually. Mm-hmm. So first night in the refrigerator still with the plastic wrap on it, yep. then another day on the counter. Okay. But you mentioned the microwave. Yeah. Oh, Is that not kosher? All our cakes are kosher. No. So <laughs> no, it's true. I know, but you know what I mean. Like, is putting a Ron Ben Israel cake or any cake in the microwave, you is that crazy? I do it all the time. Oh. So here's the truth. Uh, if you freeze the cake and you have, you know, let's say there's a big snowstorm and you cuddle in bed and you can't leave the apartment. This sounds perfect. Right? Bottle of wine and a Ron Ben Israel cake. And, and I can't even come and, and <laughs> because we are all stuck in a snowstorm. Then you can put the cake in the microwave, but I would just use a few seconds on and off because okay. you don't want to melt the fillings. Sure. So I'm not, actually what I do, which is my pet peeve, is mm-hmm. not my pet, my, my Your secret. My secret. I actually slice, take slices of cake and wrap them individually and put them in the freezer huh. because then they will come to room temperature much faster. Oh, interesting. And sometimes a half-frozen cake tastes like ice cream. Yeah. Huh. Well, there's a little Ron Ben Israel secret. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cake, what's your favorite flavor of cake? I'll tell you, but nobody likes my favorite flavor. Well, that's all right. I'm asking what your favorite flavor I like is. exotic flavors like lemongrass, infused oh, wow. vanilla cake, okay. with candied ginger fillings, uh, black sesame seed paste. Wow. Things that are unusual. So that being said, I love that you're infusing sort of interesting, unique, and you know, new flavors into cakes. What are you finding are the most popular flavors your couples are asking for? I'm coming in. I hope they would have an open mind. Sure. Unless they have a favorite childhood cake. So sure. People come and say, oh, as a kid I used to have vanilla with fudge. Mm-hmm. Or I love red velvet. We would have all those... In front. The sort of standard classics are available. The of course. Cake and the red velvet. Yeah. But the most surprising thing is when couples try to taste 
new things. Uh -huh. And then they said, wait a minute, this cappuccino cream is amazing. Uh -huh. Oh, you have a touch of cinnamon in it. Or, or here's the passion fruit that we added a little lime. I never knew it could be so great. Mm -hmm. So that's what I like when we can go into uncharted territory. Yeah. But I do understand why couples hesitate because if they have to serve 100 people, 200 sure. people, they're always afraid that their aunt will not like yeah. the chunky peanut butter feeling. That yeah. Or there may be somebody who's allergic to nuts. Yep. So there's always enthusiastic support to the flavors we give you at the tasting, but unfortunately the choices get narrowed down because sure. people feel they need to be confident. Give choices, you know. Yeah. None of our cakes is a single flavor. There's always a combination. Sure. Different so, tiers can be different flavors. Well, even before that, each tier will have variety inside it. Within? Anywhere between three to five different uh, combinations of flavor. Let's, uh, let's wow. look at a cake. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about vanilla cake, right? Yeah. First of all, vanilla is highly underappreciated. Wow, okay. It's such a fruity, sexy flavor. Okay. We get our vanilla from um, an Armenian couple mm -hmm. that has a factory in uh, California, in Los Angeles, and they make the most amazing vanilla extracts. They're actually preserved in oil. Wow. I think in grapeseed oil, not in alcohol. Oh, wow. And, you know, so the flavor has to come through as we blend it with baked goods. Uh, but the oil seems to preserve a different nuance of vanilla, which is much deeper, I find. Than mm -hmm. It's just a choice. So our vanilla cake may have little specks of the vanilla bean. Mm -hmm. It gives it a deeper flavor. Sure. And also, uh, visually, it doesn't look just plain white. Yeah, it's and got it's some made, character. Yeah, and it's made all with egg white, so it's very light. Uh -huh. And then maybe you have three different fillings. It could be, uh, now we have a mixture of wild berries. Mm. Uh, and I call it wild berries, but we really use whatever is best in the season. Sure. So it will, many times we'll have the fraise de bois, which are the little uh, strawberries you see in the farmer's market. Uh -huh, they're really cute ones. The cute one and the much more intense in flavor. Okay. And usually blackberries around the holidays, maybe I'll cut it with the little um, tart cranberries. Okay. But it's the pink layer. Yeah. Then you'll have a chocolate layer, but that chocolate could have little bits of chocolate that were chopped by hand. It could be a very dark chocolate. It could also be milk chocolate. Uh -huh. And then there will be another choice, maybe a crunchy layer. It could be cookies and cream, where we actually break cookies into the mm, batter. That sounds so it, good. Something else. You'll have fruity, chocolatey, and candy. Yeah. So then the whole dessert on the plate is already composed. Yeah. It's not boring and you have something for everyone. Yeah. So would you get all of those flavors in one bite? In one, no. No, in one layer of the cake, exactly. but not one bite unless you had a really big mouth. Right. Okay. Very good, guys. So let's okay. talk about TV. You are on TV. I feel that we jumped TV. something, but okay. Well, Ooh. that's how it goes. TV is TV. Uh, you know, I've the, all, all the TV that I've done was about kicks. Always, yeah. And I really started as being a guest on Martha's tour uh, numerous, numerous times, uh -huh. a different formation of a show. And I learned a lot from her because she's, first of all, a very talented baker. But she can improvise and she's fat, light on her feet. Yeah. So she showed me how to act when something goes wrong. Sure. And in a very graceful way. And okay. Great experience that lasted for many years. We still yeah. cooperate. And I enjoy it tremendously, but Food Network 
has different shows, of course. Yeah. Shows that are scripted reality where you have a premise, usually a competition. Yeah. And that's a whole new world. Like Cake Wars. Cake Wars is the current show and it's doing yeah. really well. Right now, the second season is being aired every Monday at 9, yeah. 8 Pacific. And then after two episodes, they realized that they were ordering a third season already. Wow. So we're going to start shooting and it's wonderful but very challenging. Is that, is that filming here in New York City or you fly to California? Most of the shoots for Cake Wars are done in L.A. Oh, wow. Hollywood. So you're traveling. And there's time difference. Okay, yeah, the three hours. So what happens is I work, I get up at five every morning, shave my head, <laughs> take a really hot shower and stretch because yep. other, the rest of the time I'm on my feet. Then I get to the studio, it's still dark. Yeah. And we work for about 12, 14 hours. Wow. Because the competitors, the, the bakers... Are there all to, day. And they have to bake everything from scratch yeah. and present it to us. And, uh, you know, of course, I have a wardrobe. Yeah. The only thing I'm saving on is the hair. Do you get to pick your wardrobe or they have a stylist? They have a stylist, but it's my own wardrobe that they help me put together. Oh, beautiful. So it really, truly is you on camera wearing your clothing. Yeah, but, you know, when I'm in New York City, I usually wear black. Okay, well, and New York City. And I want to be colors. Yeah. It has to wear pink and turquoise. Of course, so bright. Well, here I would wear a black with a pink shirt. Sure. An accent. Yeah. But on TV, I was watching Cake Wars. I did my homework. What a fun show. And some really creative and crazy challenges. I mean... And crazy contestants. There's no time. You have no... The time limit is crazy. You know, when I did TV that showed you how to make the product, I enjoyed it tremendously, but everything was very uh, soft and nice. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. And here on the Food Network, you want to challenge, you want the blood pressure yep. to go up. And the, the bakers themselves are quite a bunch. They want to be on TV. Yeah, they're hungry. It's not for the faint of heart. Not at all. And they want to show off. They're very competitive. Yep. And, um, you know, I've done a few competitions myself, but I was nice. I would talk to the other chefs and say, you know, good luck. Or, yeah give them something to taste. Of course, I wanted them to taste and get scared that they're going to lose. But, um, <laughs> that was your strategy? Yeah, kill them with kindness. There we you know, go. Okay. Honey rather than vinegar. Okay, interesting. But on that show, it's so fascinating. So they win $10,000 if they're the winner. Right, that's the current prize. And I feel like as a judge, you're sort of very sweet, but sometimes a little sassy. Like so you're the... It is. Yeah, yeah, like you're the nice guy. But then when, what you say sometimes so sharp, but it's, it's always true, whether it's about color or texture. Um, but generally, I feel like your cast is like, you know, Ron Ben-Israel, the nicer judge. Like, you know, you're not the mean judge. I had it with being a mean judge. Okay. Uh, it was a role assigned to me in the previous show, yep. uh, Sweet Genius. And luckily, I think people now look at it more like a cult phenomenon. Got it. And of social media, when I meet people in the street, they say, oh, when is the show coming back? We loved it. Yeah. The reality was that I was cast to be Dr. Evil. <laughs> and I played along. Yes. I like to follow the instructions. Sure. But I was feeling frustrated because it wasn't exactly me. I mean, sure. But then acting is not all about you. you. Absolutely. Here in Cake Wars, I'm definitely myself. There's even a new section online called What Would Ron Do? Where I speak directly <laughs> to the camera without a script. And I envision 
what I would do with the cake. Sure, in that challenge. In that challenge. Interesting. So this is really nice for me. Now, I would really love to get my section where actually I could make Execute cake, it. But then, yeah, that's a whole different show. That's your own show. That's the Ron Ben Israel show. Right, but the problem is that people don't have the patience to watch for 45 minutes how cake is done. Got it. They would rather watch little clips. Yeah. So maybe we'll do it online. Okay. Not in, you know, 45 minutes is a lot of TV time. To it film. is. You need I, drama. Yeah. And I can't wait for the drama of season three because I'm sure it's going to be bigger and better than ever. Of and course. you see my wardrobe up in shopping. Oh my gosh. Well, you look really good. Have you been working out? Are you on a diet? I mean, you look mm, very handsome. Okay. I yeah. have been training. Uh, you know, I, in my fantasy, I would go back to ballet class every morning. Uh-huh. But it really doesn't work because professional ballet class is usually 10 to 12. And we start baking at 7.30 or sure. in the morning. So I found a system called gyrotonic which was created by a ballet dancer to do tai chi, yoga, and variety of disciplines. Uh-huh. And it's done with machines in the studio. Okay. And it's a little brainy. I mean, you have to invest. There's a learning curve. Sure. But I love it. And it tones the muscles in a way that you can eat cake and still have lean and flexible muscles. Okay. And strength. A lot of core strength. Sure. But the strength comes from moving. And gyro in Greek means rotation. Uh-huh. So it's been great for me, and I have a trainer three times a week, an hour and a half. It shows. I'm, like, really jealous. You look so good. I'm in, like, a puffy, fat sweater, um, and you look so fit and lean. Well, you also, interesting, you talked about ballet, Mm -hmm. and you started your life, your first sort of job or career was in dance, right? Well, actually, I I went to art school first. Okay. And I thought that I'm going to do after, you know, when you're 18 in Israel, you get drafted to the army. Yeah. So my plan was, when I was 21, to continue visual arts. Yeah. And I wanted to do sets for theater. Okay. Because the stage always called me. Sure. But when I was... You had a flair for the big and the beautiful. Yeah. Singing that's just look at me, look at me. Yes. But (laughs) a friend from art school, when I was in the first year of the army, uh, I had... um, a night off, and he said, uh, I started taking modern dance classes. Why don't you pick me up from the studio? So I went to the studio, and I saw them sweating on the floor uh-huh. in sort of Martha Graham technique. Yeah. Class, and I said, I want to do that. I used to do folk dancing, which I love. Oh, interesting. So I went and bought a pair of tights. Yeah. And the next time I had, uh, every two weeks, you would get one day off, one night off. I would go to modern class. And then I started taking ballet class, uh-huh. which is even funnier because I would come in my army fatigues yep. and hang them up next to the pink tutus yep. and practice with the little girls. Oh my gosh, amazing. I loved it. And it was, I don't know, it's just like when something grabs me, yeah. it's not a habit It's not a habit or a hobby, I just do it. Yeah. I don't really have any hobbies, I just like make things. Yeah. So did you ever dance professionally or you sort of danced as a hobby? No, I, when I started, I mean, I wanted to do it all the time. Sure. All the time. And uh, I apprenticed with companies. Yeah. I was still studying. And luckily, I was, my muscles responded really quickly. And I was able to join a company after a few years. I, I mm-hmm. joined first, I was in theater troupes. So I was the one who was dancing in the background. Sure. But then I joined legitimate companies and I did it for 15 years. Wow. Modern dance for 15 years. Modern dance with ballet training. Wow. 
And I was never the prince in ballet, but sure. I did it every morning. Listen, I would have done it forever. I would have never stopped. Yeah. But, you know, I was growing older. I was 36. Was so this was last day. week. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was no longer getting caught for sure. 12 months. It's a lot on the body. I mean, it takes yeah. a lot. And people stopped hiring me because of my age. I mean, sure. I wasn't getting the European style 12 months with social security. I was yeah. getting jobs here and there. I yeah. couldn't support myself. I needed to find other source of venues. Yep. And my grants went away. Sure. I also always wanted to be in New York. I came here on a tour with a dance company for okay. two weeks. What year was that? It must have been in the late late eighties. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, the, it's all on Wikipedia now, so I sure. can't lie. Somebody <laughs> made an entry for me. That's amazing. You know you've made it when someone makes an entry for you on Wikipedia. But did they have to put the birthday? Yeah. <laughs> we won't reveal that on this podcast. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't. Age you is know, a number. You have, no, the truth is I think that you need to have time to experience things. Sure. So without having the discipline of the army, the discipline of art school, of the dance companies, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. Absolutely. So, and you know, you can always change. It's not easy, it's not automatic. Yeah. But the ability to start something is marvelous. I think it's God-given. Yeah. I don't know how to do it unless there's inspiration coming from sure. around me. But I was able to start a new career without even planning for it. Yeah, how did you go from dance to cakes? Well, while I was still dancing and doing part-time jobs as a dancer, as a teacher, yeah. uh, I started, I needed to make an income. Yeah, because so. dancers barely make money. It's job to job, and you're a starving artist, for lack of better words. You said it. So one thing I could always do was cook and bake. So I got uh, temporary jobs with caterers. Here, I started in Canada, in France, while I was still dancing there, and then here in New York City. Uh -huh. So catering is a wonderful world, because you can get hourly jobs, yep. and then go and do rehearsals and auditions. At the same time, a friend that knew me, knew about my art school and seen my sketches and all that, said he was a visual artist for showroom and window design. And he said, come and design for me. So I started doing that world in New York City. Okay. And guess what? I've, we've done tabletop market week and yeah. we needed cake, display cakes. In for the, the tables. Yeah. And then I've done cakes for Mickey Modo, the pearl company on Fifth Avenue, and people stopped and went inside the store and said, who made those cakes? We want to order. Uh-huh. That's how things started. But that was a styrofoam cake for decor. Right. I didn't think about doing it in Professionally. Right. Sure. But what happened, one of those people was Martha Stewart. She stopped. Small world. And she was starting her wedding magazine. Yeah. So what happened is, people would come to me and literally say, make me a cake, I'll pay you. When I had pay you, I said, that's great. I'll do it. I'll do it. But then I realized I really don't have enough uh, experience. Uh -huh. So I ran and ran, looking around who I can learn from. There was no time or budget to go to culinary school, which sure. I think is the ideal way to go to a professional pastry program. Yeah. I found my mentor. Her name is Betty Van Ostrand. Mm -hmm. And we met in a cake supply shop. Okay. We met while I was shopping around for cake pans. And she was holding classes. 
and I just fell in love with what she was teaching and with her. And we've been insera- inseparable since. That's amazing. I keep telling her I'm too old to be her lover. <laughs> well, there might be other problems there, too. No, she only, <laughs> only 87. No, not age. She's a she. Oh, listen. For Betty Van Nostrand, I would do anything. <laughs> Noted. is a genius. You know, Got it. she was the first woman chef to earn gold medals representing the United States in the Food Olympics. I didn't even know there was a Food Olympics. There are Food Olympics in Europe. That particular ones were in Germany and France, and there was never a female member of the American She was the first. Yes. So she was your mentor. She still she is. She is still, but in the early stages of the creation yes. of your business. And I would uh, start taking classes, and then I would volunteer to assist during the classes. Of so course. And learn more. Yeah. And she really has been a steady beacon of knowledge mm-hmm. and help in terms of decorating and designing and I also got influenced a lot by people who write amazing baking books hmm. I think it's a fallacy to try to find a recipe on the internet the internet is a wild world out there okay and you never know where the recipe comes from sure. unless you go to foodnetwork.com <laughs> and then the chefs that participate in our TV show sure. submit recipes that are tested by our food kitchen sure. and then you know it's, yeah. it's good but I always say, why don't you buy a wonderful book like The Cake Bible sure. by Rosalie Bernbaum, who became my baking mentor. Okay. And, you know, I wrote Rose, Care of the Publisher, which is the way you used to do things, not by sending an email. Or a text. Or messaging, uh-huh. text messaging through Instagram. You wrote her a letter. A letter, on paper. Okay. And asked, you know, told her how much I admire her book and how much, how helpful it is that I'm starting a baking career. And then she suggested to meet. We met at a friend's bakery and we became colleagues and friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, Rose has a wonderful blog called Baking, Real Baking with Rose. Oh, I and love then that. Then you got a real baking. Yeah. From scratch. Yeah. And the thing with that, industry people would really adopt you. I think in any industry that you are, whether you're a florist, a visual designer, an event planner, nobody works in a vacuum. Yeah. So we need to get to meet our peers. We sure. need to have people who are leading and trendblazers to follow. And then in return, I'm at a point that I'm helping newer people. Sure. Teaching, holding seminars in my own bakery. Yep. Don't expect to, le- you know, the term self-taught, I don't think it exists. Mm. You know, if you buy a book, you always, you're not self-taught. Sure, you're, you're learning from someone. someone. Interesting. That's my message for today. Okay. I love that. So you literally started off doing catering, working in this world, doing design. Someone saw your cake in a window. That someone happened to be Martha Stewart. That relationship began. You found mentors, learned from the best, and now here we are. And who knows what's next? Nobody says that this has to be my last career. The last thing I wanted to chat about with you is I saw a sketch on your work table of a beautiful cake with cake baking utensils on top, and we were sort of chatting. Could you tell me a little bit more about what that cake is for, where it's going? But I'll tell you, very top secret adventure. For years, for years, for years, I had different opportunities to create products, and. I really wanted to do that, and all along, we create a lot of our products. Mm-hmm. We have special artisans that are commissioned to do for the kind. Or for every class I do, I change something. So we have workers uh, that I hired to do a set of cutters. 
and I do a lot of my silicone molds, and people always say, can I buy it? But I had a big, I have a big issue, which is also a moral issue, copying. Got it. Uh, when you do a cake decorating tool, especially from silicone, which I do in-house for our clients, it's very easy to copy. Yeah. And I travel a lot to cake conventions and culinary shows, and I see that things that people put their heart and soul and worked for years to develop are very easily copied, mm -hmm. just like fashion news. And I just didn't want to do it. So the last offer that I got was different. And maybe I'm not going to invent the wheel, but I'm going to market products that we use here every day at the bakery. Got it. Products that work. Products that work with a twist on the look and the quality, but not something that if you try to copy them, you'll never get them as what we do here. Got it. So we are very particular about the baking pans that we have here. And the manufacturer developed them, but in an even more advanced way. So okay. I don't even have them yet. Oh my gosh. They're going to be very straight edged, very high quality, heavy duty pens. However, if you drop them, they're not going to um, bend so easily because okay. they have a ring that protects them. Okay. They are almost sheer black because that way the kicks are not going to burn, but they're going to um, rise and heat, the heat is going to be more even. It'll distribute evenly. Right. Interesting. And then also they come with a silicone band around the perimeter of each pan that protects the cake and make it rise evenly so no dome is created. Okay. And those, there's a lot of tricks with them. So cake pans and special spatulas, um, silicone spatulas that you could put in the oven and will not melt. Oh, wow. Um, and they have just different design elements that make them very safe for use. Lots of little tricks, even timers, and eventually we'll have my own scale. Okay. Uh, measuring cups and measuring spoons. And they're all very attractive in stainless steel and silicone with frosting colors. Perfect. So, so you can buy your juniper berry spatula or <laughs> pistachio nut uh, sifter. Absolutely. I mean, it should be fun and exciting, right? Baking is a joy, but it's also so precise, which is why I'm terrible at it. I'm like, throw a little bit of this, do a little bit of that, which doesn't work with well, baking. Well, you know what the message <laughs> with my baking guy would be? If you bought this pan and yep. flour sifter, yep. you will get cakes to do like, you will get cakes that will look and taste like mine. Okay. Well, I will put that to the test. I can't wait to buy it and try it and I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. Ron, this has been absolutely so wonderful. I'm so glad you uh, have me here in your office, in your bakery, and it's been such a pleasure. You can interview me anytime, Joe. Noted, and I look forward to continuously watching you on Cake Wars and seeing what the next adventure is for Ron Ben Israel.